We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Good evening, everyone. We're thankful that you're here. Any visitors that we have, it's nice to have met you. If I didn't meet you, I'd love to before we leave tonight. And just very grateful that you've come and to be a part of us and pray that you would consider coming back and, and being with us all that you can. Joel just prayed, uh, help us to be salt and light. And, and you've probably heard that if you've been around church, you've heard that quite a bit, Sunday school, you've heard it in sermons and different settings and different things. But have you ever really looked at and studied why Jesus uh, throughout in correlation with the Old Testament, why would he use these two things, salt and light, to describe something in the Sermon on the Mount toward his people? Well, that's what we're going to look at tonight, and I do pray that you, uh, I pray you've had a good day in the Lord. I pray that you look forward to studying his word. And uh, again, Denton Bible Church, we welcome you. There's a lot of things going on. Man, if you have not signed up for that men's conference, I'd just love to encourage you to do that. That was the very first thing that I attended many years ago when I found out about it. I came, met some nice people, and some of them are great friends today. So please, ladies, would you pray for that men's conference and that we all, um, Tommy might be used greatly and we all might be blessed by that. Uh, In the text that was read to us, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, you remember we're at what we call the Sermon on the Mount in a series. We'll probably have, uh, let's see, probably eight more uh, weeks. Uh, Corey and Chris are so gracious to come and to join me and to help in this series, talking about uh, the instructions that Jesus gave. And when I look out and I see here today, I see all ages of people. Thank you for all those who are tuning in online. We have people from around the country. God bless you, and our prayers are with you. But I look around, I see all ages. I see moms with children. God bless you for being here, little ones. Oh, we're so glad to have have you here. I see people that I've known a long time and people that I just met. And I really think that the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount was with a group of people just like us. Of all ages, some had probably heard Jesus and walked with him for a while, So they're kind of used to some of the things he's saying. They probably got a lot of their friends and family to come. There's going to be some others that probably had heard about Jesus quite a bit. And so they've come to hear this message of this one they've heard that has uh, has healed people and done miracles. And then there are some that, that are brand new, some that are showing up to find out what all's going on. But it probably was a large crowd. If you've been there in Israel, that place, it is the traditional site of uh, the Lord's, uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount is a, a large place where many people can meet. And it, as was the custom of that day, they would sit on a hillside. It's northwest of the, the Sea of Galilee. And you know how it is when you're around a body of water, your voice can just carry. And, and so it's a beautiful, beautiful place. And Jesus began last week as we looked at, he talked about the Beatitudes. I always think about that ought to be my attitude because it is exactly opposite from what the Jewish rulers and leaders were expecting. They were expecting King David to return. They wanted a military leader to ride in on a white stallion and he would overthrow the Roman government, kick everyone out of Israel, and they would have Camelots. 
They would have the high point of the, the land of Israel and the people of Israel. And they didn't know that their Messiah was going to come, not on a white stallion, a battle stallion, but a, on a little donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. He came totally different. Uh, Corey, the other night, began our series talking about the expected, unexpected kingdom because it was not what the religious Jewish leaders were saying is coming. Now, remember, God's been silent for much of 500 years. If you look at the last uh, books of your Old Testament, God is not speaking through prophets the way he had done through Elijah and Elisha. He's not speaking through uh, other people like he did through Moses. He doesn't have a king like David. It is more or less a, a period that is a waiting period for God to show up. You were a Jewish young girl during that time, a young lady. You always would be thinking, could I be the one? Could I be the one that God would choose to be the mother of the Messiah? Uh, there was much talk about the Messiah and an anticipation that was true and it was good. They just didn't realize he was gonna become a little baby in swaddling clothes in a manger. Come humbly. And so that was last week, and we saw the attitude of a Christian, poor in spirit, a peacemaker, pure in heart, those that will, will uh, seek for righteousness and long for goodness, and they thirst after it. He did tell them, you will be persecuted. I do want you to continue to pray, as was mentioned, for Christians around the world. We, we need to pray for Christians in Ukraine right now in Poland, in uh, those areas around there. My nephew just deployed over there right now, close to that area, uh, and many others. Uh, no telling what could take place. God's in control, but uh, please pray for believers around the world, those still in Afghanistan. There's many people in Afghanistan that chose to say, no, we're going to stay here, and we may lose our lives, but we're going to stay here and just... Uh, I pray for that same courage and strength. We've looked at in America that persecution for being a Christian was somewhere over there. It was either way in the past or over there. But right now in the city that we live in, we are seeing stores opened up to sell ungodly things. We are seeing ordinances trying to be passed. We are seeing political movements trying to be uh, formed so that I cannot do what I'm doing right now. And you cannot do what you're doing right now. Open the Bible. Never dreamed it would take place in this country, but pray for courage, pray for, for bravery and strength, uh, and pray for God's people everywhere. In the 13th chapter, uh, the 13th verse of the fifth chapter, Jesus begins this part of the sermon, and he says, I want to read it again. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hid, nor does, hidden, not, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven." I remember, uh, she's probably not listening tonight, but when I think about light, my younger brother has six children, and his uh, two girls were, 
were the, I guess, the, the second and fourth children, second and third children. So he's got two wonderful girls that are uh, godly, godly uh, women today, and uh, I'm just very, very grateful to know them. When they were very little, uh, as oftentimes it was in my home, they all stayed in the same bedroom. And so I'll never forget that G- Dean is my brother telling me a story about, he told Jason, the oldest, the boy, Jason, turn the light out. It's time to go to bed. Turn the light out. Well, the light went out and it came back on. Jason turned the light out and the light went out and, and it came back on. And so Dean said, now, Jason, what are you doing? He said, Shannon did it. Did anybody ever blame on brothers or sisters anything? Uh, If you haven't, it's really fun. You ought to start now because it works out really well sometimes. So Jason said, Shannon did it. Well, Shannon is about two. And so my brother, Jason turned that light off. Who turned it back on? Shannon did it. And Shannon turned and said back to her dad, Sewa did it. Now, Sewa was about three months old in the crib. <laughs> and all she knew was that I'm not getting in trouble for this, you know. I don't know, to this day, I don't know who turned the light back on, but I remember them telling that story. Sewa did it because the light went off. Well, Jesus is going to talk about salt and light. It begins with salt. And uh, this we, if we look at the words in exegesis of the scripture, exegesis means we actually look at the words of the Bible and see what they mean. We see who the author was, who the audience is, the intent of the author. See, I don't interpret God's word. He interprets it already. And the word is what speaks to us. And he begins and he says, you. So who is you? He certainly is talking to his apostles, the 11, the 12, uh, he's talking to his disciples uh, that were following him. That would include the group of women that helped feed them all the time. Many other believers that were following Christ in the land of Israel during that time. It would involve, as I mentioned, other people who are listeners. Uh, when I pray for the church, I pray for our elders and deacons and their families. I pray for our staff and their families. I pray for the members of our church, the attenders of our church who are not members yet. I pray for the visitors and I pray for our outreach. That's my prayer for Denton Bible Church being used in our community and the surrounding communities. So the you there are the people that would hear the word of God. And I'm not reading into that, but we look through years of time and that you is us. Because this instruction of Jesus applies to you and me too. It is a sermon, a literal sermon preached that day on the hillside, but it's a sermon for you and me also. So he says you. The second word he says are. Uh, That means he didn't say you will be, you should have been, you have been, but you are. Present tense. There's something that he's going to say about these people that they are at that moment that's very important. And he calls, he says, you're the salt of the earth. I just uh, did a funeral last week, as I told you, and of a godly man, 91 years old, just a faithful man that I love so much. And I had to say, he's the salt of the earth. When you hear that, what do you think about? I want to give you two different uh, purposes for salt. There could be some other things, but mainly when the scripture talks about salt 
And uh, when we use that in the context of different settings today, salt is a preservative. Uh, to preserve something, people didn't have ice boxes before. They would put meat in a salt bed. Salt keeps as a preservative some of the bad stuff out. Salt as a preservative preserves what you put in there and it keeps some of the bad stuff out. Salt, on the other hand, has another purpose that's used greatly and salt enhances the good. Uh, if you love a good uh, piece of steak or something and, and uh, just a little bit of salt on there, I'm getting hungry already. Uh, get a little bit of salt on that. What does it do? It, it causes a thirst for something. It causes a desire. Uh, salt is, it enhances, it incites. I mean, have you ever walked into the kitchen when those ladies at Thanksgiving are, are, are cooking the turkey and the dressing? What is it about celery that smells so good in that pan? I mean, celery, this is uh, eating it by itself. But, but when it's cooking, oh my goodness gracious. You put salt on that to enhance the flavor. It makes it taste better. It draws out the good. So two purposes of salt, it protects against the bad, keeps the bad out in preservative, and, and it enhances the good. I think that's a, a, a neat thing to look at and to think about. Real quickly, those of you who take notes, I want to ask you to write down 2 Chronicles 13.5, Leviticus 2.13, and Numbers 18.19. In the Old Testament, God had instructed those who made sacrifices. That was to kill an animal. Could be as small as birds. Could be a calf, a lamb in different ways. They were to, to sacrifice those animals in a picture of life given because the wages of sin is death. There had to be death to pay for the sins of mankind. We realize later that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sin. But that was a preview. The Old Testament, the animals were sacrificed in a preparation, a looking forward to a sacrifice that would be one that you'd never have to have another sacrifice. And that was who? That was Jesus. So he talks about, it's interesting, the Old Testament, he talks about a covenant of salt. Covenant of salt. I'll read those verses real quickly. Do you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the rule over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? Now that may sound strange to us, a covenant of salt. But again, God's going to use the illustration or the property of salt to say that it preserves it keeps things from changing. So when we talk about salt dealing with God's word, it is testifying that it is unchangeable. Salt is a preservative. And a covenant of salt in a sacrifice is, means that God keeps his word. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for that? With so much of the world today, people break contracts, you you go to have something done on your car, whatever it may be, and people don't keep their word. And that's a type of a trail, isn't it? It doesn't feel good on the inside because somebody, maybe you confided in someone that you thought would keep something confidential and, and they didn't. And it hurts because it is something that, that betrays us. 
So they had a covenant of salt. Leviticus, the verse I told you about, every grain offering of yours, moreover, shall be seasoned with salt. He said, I want you to put salt on every one of your grain offerings. One of the things that's beautiful about the sacrifice of the Old Testament, it says that it would become an aroma, like I talked about how good that, the, that food smells when it's cooking in the kitchen. But the sacrifices of the Old Testament would be an aroma that goes up before God. You and I as Christians, New Testament, are supposed to be a sweet-smelling aroma unto God. So salt has a, a purpose that it was used in the Old Testament. All of the offerings of the holy gifts, which the sons of Israel offer to the Lord, I've given them to you and to your son as in a perpetual allotment. It is an everlasting covenant of salt, an everlasting. So he uses salt two ways in the Old Testament to remind them that God's word cannot, cannot fail. It is everlasting. It's a preservative. And also, it makes that sacrifice smell better. It enhances the flavor. So when we think about salt and light, how in the world, Old Testament sacrifices, how in the world would that apply to us? I'll also give you a few other, and then we'll be right back in our text. Mark 9, 49, 50. 2 Kings 2, 20. Uh, Mark 9 says, every one will be salted with salt. Isn't that amazing? Everyone's going to be salted with salt. It's going to do one of the things that salt does. Now, if you get a cut, you get a wound, and you pour what in, you pour salt in that, what's that going to do? It, it's going to hurt, isn't it? It's going to be painful. But he said, every one of us are going to be salted with salt. Mark 9 and uh, 50 and Luke 14, 34. I also, I always love to ask when I read one of those verses, is there a cardiologist in the room? Salt is good. I always want to tell my cardiologist that and he just looks at me. Salt is good, but you can have too much of it in the wrong place and I understand. But salt is good. It is used as a preservative and it's used as an enhancing Interesting, the Old Testament, there's a story about they came to the prophet and told him the waters have death in them. They're bitter waters. They don't taste good. If you're going to clean up the water, you would put some kind of, we today would put some kind of chemical that would kill bacteria. We would uh, try to strain that and wash that water somehow and make it fit for us to drink again. The Old Testament, they were commanded to take um, uh, to take a, a, some salt and salt water was put in there and, and it healed. It actually healed that water. Now that's unusual. That's a miracle. It's uncommon. So there's all different kinds of, types of illustrations throughout the scriptures. There's one time when they threw a tree in the water. But in this case, the salt was thrown and it caused the water to be healed. You and I, if you've been to the beach, you know that we can die of thirst because we can't drink salt water. But in this case, the salt made the water good for them to have. So it preserves, it creates thirst, it enhances flavor. It cleanses sometimes. It can wash and make, make clean. 
Uh, it gives flavor. It pre prevents corruption. Salt creates thirst. If you don't think so, I think I told you just a few weeks ago when I was a little boy out with a friend of mine out in the country who had cattle, his dad had cattle, there was a big white block of salt on the ground. And Kim, you know what that is. And Cheryl, I know you guys do. Big salt block. It's called a salt lick. And this good friend of mine said, Mike, that's really good. If you'll just lean down there and lick that, you're really going to like that. I thought he was my friend. But now, that was about 50 years ago. I am still thirsty because I licked that block of salt. It creates thirst. I didn't realize how powerful that salt was. When I got a little bit older, I thought, I wonder how many cows it did licked over that salt block. Never mind. He says, you, you people that are here, us also, you're the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth. You know who those people are? They're the people that make the world a better place. There's some that I refer to as often as old school. <clears throat> now, I do that very respectfully. They're old school. They've got old-fashioned values. They're not afraid to stand up for the truth. When I see young people that have those same values, uh, I honor them and I say, you're an old soul in the young body. And I love that because holding fast to that which is good, preserving what God said is good. Salt. You're the salt of the earth. Then he makes a claim, though. He says, but. Uh, let, me, let me use one other word to get in your mind real quickly. Salt aids in making flavor distinctive. Distinctive. Like our witness should make us different from the world. That's one of the things that will show up in the rest of this passage before we have communion tonight. You're going to see that salt made things taste different. And when he talks about having salt in our lives to be the salt of the earth, it means we are to be distinct. We are to be different. Now, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you remember those times. Your kid comes and says, uh, does something. You say, why would you do that? Well, everybody else did. And what was the old saying? Well, if everyone jumps off a cliff, are you going to do that? That doesn't work because most young people say, yes, I will. Uh, we are to be distinctive. We are to be different from the world. And if there was ever a time in our land that people needed to see us living differently, in the love of Christ, love those people, love them to death, but we need to live differently than the world. So we've seen that he said, you're the salt of the earth. And now he has a strange phrase. But if the salt has become tasteless, if it's become saltless, if it is not doing its properties uh, for being fulfilled, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer... Uh, Good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If the salt has become tasteless. Now, what he's literally talking about people is that we have become foolish. A believer could have salt in themselves, their salt of the earth, and then make wrong choices, not live different than the world, and we live foolishly. And he said, it's just like salt that's lost its purpose. 
It doesn't have its strength anymore. It doesn't work. It doesn't taste the same. It's not good for anything. The purpose of salt is not fulfilled. And he's warning the people there that you are the salt of the earth, but you need to make sure that you don't destroy your witness. How quickly can a Christian witness be harmed? Pretty fast, can it? You mean after 20, 30, 40, 50 years of faithfulness, can I destroy that witness that I have? Let me put it this way. How much, uh, somebody you might have trusted for a long, long time, how quickly does it take to break trust? Can it not happen in a second? How quickly is that trust uh, regained? Usually not very quickly. So he's warning us here, you got to make sure you stay salty. You got to make sure that you don't become foolish. You stop being distinct from the world and we live too much like the world. Because he said, if you do, it's no longer good for anything thrown out, trampled underfoot of men. What they would actually do when salt, it wasn't that some of the salt lost its, its uh, saltiness per se, but it got mixed with something. If you've been to the Dead Sea, the Dead Sea, 37% mineral, I think, in there, you, they, you can't walk into it forward. They, they make you walk into it backwards. Anybody know why? Because if you fall forward and it can get in your eyes, you do, it is not a pleasant thing. You could fall backwards and it actually holds you up. It is so full of mineral contents, you can float in the Dead Sea by that mineral that holds you up. You can dig down and get salt, and they sell that all over the world. But if the salt has gotten mixed, and that's what's happened in the Dead Sea, it's gotten mixed with a lot of gypsum, it's gotten mixed with other uh, chemicals, and it, it's lost its purpose. And what they do is they, they use it to pave the roads, literally what it says here, to be trodden underfoot of men. So he's saying... Man, salt can lose its purpose. Salt cannot be salty anymore. And it becomes worthless. You throw it away. You walk on it. Step on it. It's no good. Now, how would that apply to us? Our salt becomes ineffective when we become too much like the world. You and I are making choices right now. My children are making choices. My grandchild He'll be making choices soon. Are we going to be different than this world? Are we going to be different than Denton, Texas? There's a lot of things I love about the city here, and I certainly love this church. But are we going to be distinct? Are we going to be different? Are we going to stand up for what is right? I never dreamed I would see the things taking place that I'm seeing today. He warns us, make sure... Uh, there's a verse also, if you take down notes, Colossians 4, 6, and it says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you'll know how to use, you ought to respond to each person. He's talking about wisdom there. Wisdom there. He says, when you, when you talk, talk with wisdom. Talk with wisdom, and it's like salt in your speech. So we need to be careful that we don't become too much like the world. You know what the answer to that was throughout church history? If we are going to become like the world, I'll tell you what we'll do. We're just all going to move away and we'll go live in a building up on top of a hill called a monastery. 
and we will not be around anybody. We'll become a hermit. The Essenes, if you've ever heard of them, they went outside of Israel and I've stood in front of some of those caves. That's where they found the, the um, Dead Sea Scrolls. And those people said, I tell you what, the way we're not gonna be around the world and be affected by the world, we're just gonna leave. We're gonna be a commune. We're gonna go out and get away from everybody else. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you and I are to be salt and light in a moment. <coughs> and he says, that's not to be taken out of the world, but that's actually to go into the world. How's your neighbor gonna hear what Christ has done in your life? One of the most wonderful parts of my life uh, since I was eight years old is to tell other people about Jesus. I don't force anything on anyone, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, but when there's an opportunity to share what Jesus has done in my life and, and about his word, I, I love, uh, th that's my Super Bowl. That's my home run. That is, that is the joy of my life to do that. Some respond, some respond later. But you and I are to go out into the world we're just not supposed to be a part of it. We're to go out in the world. That's what salt and light means, to have a good witness. But we can't let the world change our witness. We've got to let Christ preserve us. And we've got to let Christ make us enhanced to where other people see something different and says, you know what? That, that, that Clark family, there's something different about them. I need to go talk to them because I think I need what they have. That's what he's talking about. Be distinctive, be different. When we say that we're going to be salt and life in the world, we go out among them. We don't become a hermit, a, a monk. We don't hide from the rest of the world. We go out among them in prayer that we share Christ and what he's done in our lives uh, people say, well, should I be involved in our politics? Should I be involved in Little League? Should I be involved out there? I, there's so much bad in the, in the world. If we're not careful, and God bless all of you who do homeschooling, there's no way I could. My kids would have run away from home. I guarantee you they would not have, not, not have stayed. But God bless all of you who do that. But be careful that we don't separate our kids and they don't have any social skills that they can't be around other people in the world. You make sure if you teach them at home, you send them out in the world too because you're, you're raising them to be men and women of God in a world, but not par a part of the world. Does that make sense? That's salt. Salt. So we need to be different. The Bible says that we need to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. That brings us to the next one in verse 14. You are, he says, you again, same group of people. You're the light of the world. You're not only salt, but I'm going to describe you as light now. You're the light of the world. That's interesting because in John 8, 12, Jesus had said about him, he is the light of the world that brings light to all. And so when he says you and I are part of the light of the world, he's talking about some of his light in us can shine to other people's. Uh, the book of James talks about the father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Proverbs 31. I look around this room and 
I see Proverbs 31 women. And that's one of the highest honors anything could ever be said about you ladies. Very thankful for you. You know one of the things it says about her? Her light doesn't go out at night. Her light doesn't go out. Now it's literally talking about she so cares for her family. She makes sure everything that in her power, her family has what they need. But I tell you what, there's more to it than that. Godly women, I think of women that take care of children on their own right now. We kept our almost two-year-old grandson the other day. Kept him for two days. We slept for a week after that. He was on the move. He, He was up and down and through and back and... It was so much fun. We loved it so much, but we know why we had kids in our 20s instead of now. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. He's the real light, but it shines in and through us. Now, light, like salt, age in making a place that's distinctive. You remember in the Old Testament when the plague of darkness was going to come through the land of, of Egypt? They were going to get the flies and the the lice and the frogs and the cattle disease, and they were going to get. All those things, by the way, were what Egypt worshipped. And God said, I'll just show you what what I think about your so-called gods. But there was going to be a plague of darkness. And it was so interesting that God said, every place of the Egyptians, it was going to be dark, but wherever his people, the Israelites were, they were going to have light. Now, isn't that pretty cool? I mean, that is something that's, uh, that, that would be hard to accomplish today, wouldn't it? But God said, my people are going to have light. I'm going to see to it. These Egyptians are not going to have light. They're going to have darkness in their dwellings. Well, that's the way it is in the world. The world is fallen. The world is broken. The world needs Jesus. And that's why it needs us to be a light in the community, in your neighborhood. It needs, the world needs you. Well, I can't speak very well. I'll guarantee you God can use the smile on your face from a clear conscience to transform other people's lives. I don't know how many times in my life, and I don't say, and I have a smile on my face all the time, I drive by, I'm from West Texas, so when you drive by people, you wave at them. Everybody does not wave at me here. I don't know why they don't. I grew up doing that. But I was waving one day in my pickup, waving to everybody, and I would look at them. And I, I, I think I've told you this before, but I just saw their face, and it looked like they were so mad. They were so upset about something. I thought, and I began to be very pious in my own way of thinking. I began to pray, oh, Lord, why is everybody so mad? And then I looked in my rearview mirror and I looked just like them. The look on my face, I had joy in my heart, but it might not have looked like that to them either. They probably had joy in their heart too. And I'm judging that matter because I thought they didn't look a certain way. I tell you what, the older I get, the the more I realize how much I just, uh, God has had a lot of patience with me. How about with you? He said, you're the light of the world. You need to be distinct. 
You need to be different. I've had people from the time I was a young boy come up to me and say, there's something different about you. There's something different about you. Could I talk to you sometime? You're talking about a privilege to be able to do that. He says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Why, why would a, a city be set up high on a hill? That's, that's so everyone can see it. That's so that they could see everywhere around. In fact, in, in olden days, that's why you would build on top of a mountain so you could actually see enemies that might be approaching the high ground. Why do we put a lot of lighthouses out there? Lighthouses are to protect somebody. They can see the light so they won't hit the reef, the rocks. They won't hit the shore. They can get a bearing of where they're at. Light is used many, many different ways in our world. But he said, you're supposed to be a city set on the hill. And when he describes a city, I, thought, I, I, I like this. He didn't say you're a flashlight on the hill. That means that just one of us is up there. If you've flown lately at night and you look down and you see all of the lights of a city and how beautiful that is, that's a collection of lights. And that's what he's saying here. We're to be a city set on a hill. The church is supposed to be a city, not hiding from everyone, not in a monastery or cave somewhere. We're supposed to be a bright spot. I believe Denton Bible with all of our faults and, and we're not perfect by any means, but Denton Bible is a city set on a hill. It's a light place. And I want to tell you, I'll say it loudly. I'm thankful for our senior pastor, Tommy Nelson. Uh, this isn't another church. This is part of the same church, and it'll always be that. I'm thankful for our pastor who for almost five decades, and now with uh, many people that are too afraid to stay where somebody's speaking the truth. That's truthful. I'm thankful he has stayed firm, a light, a city on a hill that's shining the light. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Does anyone light a lamp and put it under a, bus, a basket? That, that doesn't make sense. You remember singing that in Sunday school? Put it under a bushel. No, don't let Satan blow it out. Came right out of the Sermon on the Mount. We don't put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, it gives light to all that are in the house. Isn't that interesting? The light gives light to everybody. God is gracious to let the light of the church, Jesus, shining through our lives, even affect unbelievers. There's light in the place where that light is at. We can hide our light. How many of us as children, our parents told us, you can confess right now that you're probably going to be okay, but uh, you're supposed to turn all your lights out, but you wanted to read just a little bit more. Now we have all kinds of electronic things, and so what do we do? We just grab the covers and we put them over us, and then the, there's this little light underneath the covers. I don't know about you, but I never did anything that my parents told me I was not supposed to do, that my mom didn't know. She knew about them all the time. Uh, but we try to hide our light sometimes. We kind of cover it up by our covers. Jesus says, don't hide your light. Don't put it under a basket. You put it on a lampstand so everybody can see it. And the church should be a place where many lights can be seen together. And Denton, Texas and the surrounding. Did you know that Denton makes up, uh, people from Denton only make up 40% of Denton Bible Church? 
60% of our church comes from surrounding areas. That's why we're always so glad to see new people to come. But you know what? I can hide my light. Let me go quickly. I can hide my light by being quiet when I should speak. Now, there are times to be quiet, but there are times we need to speak out and to speak up. And I can hide that witness. I can hide the light of Christ when I'm quiet when I should speak. When I just go along with the crowd, no matter what they're doing, even when I should stand against it. When I deny the light right now, what do you think about this? And they bring up a topic. We ought to say, it doesn't matter what I think. God's word says this, and that's what I'm going to hold to. We can, uh, we can let sin dim our light. And I want to tell you what, there's nobody, including the only one standing up in here. Am I the only one standing up? Let's just start right here. There's no one in this room that is exempt from having sin dim our light. You know another way we can let our light not shine? Uh, Not telling others about it. Not telling others about what Christ has done in our life. I regret so badly. This is, I I don't ever do that. I was in a doctor's office several years ago and, and this lady was talking about something I'd gone through, pretty major surgery and and I am always, always ready. Well, let me tell you, yes, I'm grateful for my doctors and nurses, medicines, procedures, but I know God held my hand. He was there with me and brought me through that. And this lady was talking about, yeah, I've kind of got the same thing. And I could tell she was afraid. And I was kind to her and I was cordial to her, but I didn't tell her about the light. And I just hated later on in that day when I realized I didn't tell her about Jesus and what he had done for me. We can dim the light by not telling others about what Christ has done. And then sixthly, uh, we can dim the light by ignoring the needs of others. James warned, if, if we just go and preach a nice sermon and say, you be warmed and filled and somebody's hungry and you don't give them something to eat, he said, what good is that? I taught this morning over 1 Corinthians 13, and, and Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels and I don't have love, it profits me nothing. I can understand all mysteries and have all knowledge. I can have faith to remove mountains and it just goes on and on. He said, but if I don't love, I don't love God and love others the way I should. It is worthless. It is zero. So here tonight... That's why we want to welcome you, and we mean that. That's why I tried to get around to say hello to everybody. I'm not campaigning for anything. I don't get paid for doing that. We really are grateful you're here. Every one of you, we're thankful. We want God's best. We want light and salt in your life. And if there's something I could share with you or do, it'd be a privilege. He says in verse 16, Let your light shine before men. Now, a lot of us, we don't mind others seeing what we do. Let's just be honest. Sometimes we kind of like others seeing what we do. Let's be further honest. Sometimes if they don't see good things we do, we want to tell them what we've done. I always laugh when somebody contributes a lot of money to a charity and they make a check about the size of that wall back there. Put it on nationwide TV so you can see what all we've done. Stay around a little while and people tell you what all they've done. 
But there's a great part of this verse. Let your light so shine in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. He said, let the light of Christ so shine in you and through you that when they see you do something good, they look right past you. And they say, God must be real. Isn't that good? They don't look at us and pat us on the back and say, man, what a great, great illustration and story. And you guys, we're about to have communion, so we'll get ready for that in just a second. A man was told about two preachers in a city, in the city a long time ago. He wanted to go hear both of them. I might have told you that before. Perfect illustration. He went to the first church, heard the, the pastor preach the sermon. He went to the second church. He heard the pastor preach the sermon. They came and asked him, well, what did you think? You got to hear both of those preachers, see both of those churches. What did you think? What did you think about the first one? He said, that first guy was a great preacher. Well, what did you think about the second one? That second guy had a great Savior. Isn't that good? That's what this verse is talking about. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And they don't look at us. They don't give honor to us. They give honor to God. I'm in the presence of something God is doing here. That's what it means to be salt and light. The word of God is like salt that preserves us. It keeps the bad out and keeps the good in. The sacrifices were all made better with the aroma of salt Salt is a witness that shows the world we're different. Our witness becomes ineffective if we live like the world instead of living like Christ. We are called to be distinct by being light in a dark world. I want to tell you, our world's getting darker. We need to shine. We can hide the light of Christ by sin. Don't let that happen. And then people are drawn to God by his presence in our lives. When I had looked at Christians that affected my life greatly, I saw Jesus in them. And that's what drew me to them. That's why I wanted to be close to them. I wanted to listen to them. I wanted to talk with them. Salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. Don't let anything take that salt away. You are the light of the world. And there's a lot of people need to see that light shining. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together. If anybody does not have one of the communion cups, would you please raise your hand right now? Some of our guys will come and bring some of them to you. Why do we celebrate communion? It is a celebration because the, Jesus had taught his disciples that he was going to go be delivered up to the chief priests, the rulers, the elders. They were going to kill him, and he was going to be buried, raised the third day. His disciples didn't understand what he was talking about. But our love, uh, Jesus' love for his disciples was to prepare them for the cross of Calvary. That night, Jesus knew he had a few hours to live. Where would you be? What would you be doing if you knew you had but a few hours left to live? He had taken off his robe as a teacher, a Jewish teacher, and he'd put on a towel. And that's what usually happened when you went into a Jewish home. They had a servant at the door, and the servant would have a towel and a basin of water 
and it's very dusty in Israel. So before you went into the home, the lowliest of servants would wash your feet and you would enter into that house. Well, they went into the upper room that night with Jesus and his apostles and nobody offered to wash their feet. So Jesus took off his teacher robe and he put on that towel of his servant and he knelt down and he washed the apostles' feet. He's preparing them for what's about to take place to him. The Apostle Paul writes in the book of Corinthians, I delivered unto you what was given to me that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. I'm going to ask you as we're going to have a prayer in just a moment because the Bible tells us to examine our own heart before we come to communion. And before we partake of this wafer, which is a symbol of the body of Christ, would you get alone with Jesus for a moment? The Bible teaches us we shouldn't come to this table in an unworthy manner. If you're here tonight and you're not sure you're saved, please let the cup go, pass by. Don't, don't take it. It's for believers in Christ. You may be here tonight and say, Mike, I love Jesus, but I got a lot of things messed up in my life. Welcome. We all do, but have you given it to Jesus? He can take it. So I'm going to ask you now to bow in a word of prayer. And would you thank him ahead of time for the bread, which is a symbol of his body, and the cup, which is a symbol of his blood? And would you prepare your heart as I will mine to partake of communion? Let's bow in prayer. Father, right now as our sweet sister plays that beautiful old song, oh, how he loves you and me. When Jesus prayed to you that night and he blessed the bread and gave it to the disciples and the cup and gave it to those disciples, Lord, we join with them this night. Oh, Lord, prepare our heart now. If there's anything in my heart that would keep me from coming to your table in a worthy manner. I'm not worthy of uh, coming to communion except through you. Please take anything out of my life that needs to go. And bless now this bread and this cup, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus taught his disciples, Moses gave bread from heaven, but I tell you, I'm the true bread which comes down from heaven. He was going to give his body that we could eat of his body spiritually and live forever. As we partake of this wafer here tonight, symbolizing the blood of Christ, we remember he willingly gave his body on the cross of Calvary.
As we thank God the Father for the blood of Christ, we turn to the cup now. Jesus had taught his disciples that there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. All of those sacrifices I talked about, every bit of that blood from bulls and goats and lambs, it wasn't good enough to forgive us. God had to have perfect blood, and that's why he sent his own son. And Jesus says this cup is the New Testament. It's a new covenant in my blood. As he offered that cup to his disciples that night, it was a symbol that he would shed his own blood in just a few hours so that God could look at them and look at you and me and be satisfied. Jesus said to his disciples that night, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink every one of it. Jesus had said that when we partake of communion, we look back at the cross and we look forward to him coming again. Thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you for honoring the King. As Joel and your guys want to come forward to lead us in our closing hymn. Visitors, uh, we have our church life team that's right out the doors there by those counters. We would love for you to fill out one of those cards uh, so we could just have a record of your being with us. We could reach out to you. Uh, those of you who brought children here tonight, if you'll keep bringing those kids, we'll do whatever it takes to make sure you can be here in the service and those children are taught and taken care of. I promise you that. I hope you have a great day. Remember those that might be praying out in the snow in Ukraine. Father, would you keep us safe? One more prayer. Father, we bow before you here today. And I pray that no matter what happens in my life and these people that are joined here with us, would you never let the salt of you, your word, ever become unsalty in my life? Well, Father, whatever happens in my life and these people's lives here, would you never let the light of Christ stop shining? And we'll pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.